0: say hi to first uh uh hi marcus john
1: hello hey marcus scott
0: yo yo uh uh marcus do you like movies no no john john do you
1: like movies almost as much as i like pcp
0: marcus (laughs) do you like do you like uh unpacking films from a leftist and religious backbone
2: it depends no no
0: no no i meant uh john do you like unpacking films with a leftist and spiritualist
1: lens? Oh, for sure. Especially with yourself.
0: Oh, fantastic. So, you know, for people who are listening on this channel, this is both Popcorn Eschaton and Zebras in America because Mm. Popcorn Eschaton is a side story, but its own story on the Zebras in America podcast channel network, which has also been hosting some... Excellent interviews by Marcus and who knows, maybe we'll host some other things because we are, we're busy, but we love to do what we do and we want to give you content, but we want to do content that's important to us. John and I are leftists that believe in God in some way, shape or form and have some really exciting stuff that we've been working on. And me and Marcus talk about movies and wrestling and rap and cheese and just like, have a good time and we will be back when it makes sense. But this is an episode of Popcorn Escaton because it was important. We needed to combine the stories. And, mm. you know, we always wanted to have John on the zebra show and that will still happen. But think of this as a Popcorn Escaton show or a Zebras in America point five, if that or in the comics issue half. A half issue. Uh, and so... It made sense that when we asked Marcus... Yo, what do, you, what do you want to talk about? He was like... T-Mama. Now, for y'all who don't remember T-Mama... That's Terrence Malick. Now, mm-hmm. which movies are we discussing, Marcus?
2: I believe we're discussing To the Wonder and A Hidden Life.
0: And John... What is your experience with these movies? And Marcus, how would you describe these movies?
2: Wow, uh, I do, I would describe them as
0: We're, well. Late. John's first gonna go. And then <laughs> oh, you. I thought
2: you said. Oh,
1: okay. Um, actually, one of my first correspondences with you gentlemen was um, an email I sent about my experience with seeing the Hidden Life in theaters and my past difficulties with. Uh, Terrence Malick movies, but I was really blown away by seeing A Hidden Life in theaters. And, um, after watching it at home again for this podcast, I definitely think uh, his movies are best seen in a theater. It's just easier to, you know, lose yourself in his sort of cinematic language when you're in a dark room and with a huge screen in front of you.
2: Thousand percent.
1: Um, and I, I think i've had some trouble with his sort of more popular films like you know badlands or the thin red line because yeah. i i really enjoyed to the wonder because it's such a lyrical film and it's so much about you know emotion and feeling and poeticism that i feel like for his narrative films it's it's like he's trying to write a novel in rhyming verse
0: yes mm. well I will say that, you know, Thin Red Line was was lyrical, but narrative and The New World was lyrical and narrative. And then he made those four four movies that were just super naturalistic. And then he came back with The Hidden Life. And I really of his of those four Po super poetic movies. To the wonder was my favorite, and then, and then the.
2: Now, which four are we?
0: Well, uh, the, for some reason I'm drawing a blank on the first one with Brad Pitt.
2: Are we talking about Tree of Life.
0: Yes, Tree of Life.
2: Okay, To the Wonder, Knight of Cups. To the
0: Wonder, Knight of Cups, and Song to Song. Yeah.
2: He song. Okay, right. Yeah, all those are all um, varying. Also. Semi autobiographical stories.
0: Yeah, so I feel surrounded
2: like, by other stuff too. It's they're not a hundred percent.
0: No, but yeah. I'm saying those four. I think in <laughs> Terrence Malick's oeuvre, mm-hmm. you know, you have you have um, Days of Whatever and Badlands. <laughs> then you yeah. have then you have Thin Red Line, and New Days world. of World. Days of Heaven. Then you have New these world. four, and then you have a hidden life th- yeah. in my mind and i think he also did a documentary but i yeah voyage f- in time yes i found your email john from january 2020 wow and i think and i like it and i'm just going to read what is important hmm. admission i've never gotten terrence malick before i would say i liked badlands but anything else i had seen before a hidden life left me frustrated, and unengaged. However, I finally got to see A Hidden Life in theaters, and I found it heartbreaking, and it invested me emotionally almost in every moment, more than any Malick film before. Every shot was composed as beautifully as a Renaissance or Impressionist painting, and the scenes of rural Austrian life repeatedly reminded me of the work of Van Gogh or Sir George Clausen. The epic scenery was breathtaking, It's self-reminiscent of fine art, echoing the grand moral questions the characters were grappling with. Mm. Sure, the film was long and draining, replete with imagery that Malick is preoccupied with, but I would never want an artist like Malick to not indulge in the imagery that fascinates them. That's what they're there for. I wish I had seen A Hidden Life a month ago so I could have included it in my own best of 2019 list, any film so profoundly challenges my preconceptions, so elegantly shifts my perspective, has my eternal admiration and respect. It certainly mm. makes me want to revisit Malick's previous work. Which is really funny, because you wrote that three years ago, mm. and is pretty consistent with what you were saying just now. Mm. So, again, uh, how would you describe these two movies, John, and then after that, Marcus... How would you describe these movies? What are these movies about?
1: Tell us. Well, uh, real quick, I think just speaking to I wish I had seen these in theaters again or to the wonder in theaters at all, um, I the, my second viewing of Hidden Life, I did not make those immediate connections to specific works of art. Whereas when I was sitting in a theater, um, those aspects were much more pronounced. So, so just more, More evidence to the theatrical experience for Malick films. Um, But To the Wonder uh, is about the sort of ups and downs of the relationships of these uh, main characters centering around uh, Ben Affleck's character and his uh, French wife, played by Olga Karlenko, and his... um, A woman he meets again at home, played by Rachel McAdams. And then A Hidden Life is about the struggles of an Austrian farmer who consistently refuses to swear a loyalty oath to Adolf Hitler uh, during the reign of the Third Reich and the resulting chaos that creates in his life and the life of his family as... The pressure mounts for him to to acquiesce to to fascism
0: and marcus how would you describe these movies
2: well honestly i guess i'd just say what john said in addition to mainly with with, with to the wonder i always feel obligated to say this about the earlier movies that you were talking about scott they are strongly semi-autobiographical um but I struggle with, you know, how important it is because you don't have to know about Terrence Malick's life to see to the wonder. It's just, you know, but at the same time, it's just like there is a period of time in the 70s where he married this random French woman. And I don't mean to disrespect her, but it was like everyone in Terrence Malick's circle kind of referred to her uh, to, a- a- as that because j- he just went away and then he showed back up with this new wife. And everybody was just like oh okay he's got a new wife so so that's kind of part of it um for those of you listening if you you know one big soul which is a, um it's an autobiogra- autobiography about terence malik that kind of gets updated every i don't know maybe a few years or so or every major uh m- movie or release so i would just tack on to i would just say what john said um but in addition to to the wonder being semi-autobiographical and um I guess we'll get into more of what I have to say about a hidden life later, but yeah, I mean, I love both of these movies by the way too.
0: Yeah, so let's let's talk about to to the wonder a little bit, which also was actually the last movie that Roger Ebert directed. So you mean yeah. Uh, that yes, that's what I meant.
1: Yeah. Well, actually I do have a question for Marcus. Uh, Yo, know, is there an experience that really brought Terrence Malick's work into your life? Is there a certain film or a certain viewing that made you a fan of his work?
2: Yes. Uh, I guess it would be um, Thin Red Line, which kind of spearheaded his... I guess I'll say his new style, because, you know, we, we've it's already kind of been alluded to, but in the 70s he made these two films that, you know, Badlands, Days of Heaven, which... Um, you know, they're considered groundbreaking, and I guess they are, but I was always just like, oh, these are just movies you're supposed to like, you know, Um, and then Thin Red Line came out, you gotta remember too, it was like, post Saving Private Ryan, post Full Metal Jacket, there were these like, movies where yeah, like, it showed these tragedies, the horrors of war, even little glimpses of beauty, but this was like the first war film that really was just like... That kind of showed beauty alongside the Horrors of War in such a kind of, I guess, dynamic or prolific way, just like, oh, there's an explosion on a hill and a bunch of people died, but there's also this close-up shot of a butterfly in these, like, beautiful blades of grass, you know what I mean? There, this was the first time he was just cutting to random things that seemingly had nothing to do with the main scene. And that's really what, you know, this movie came out when I was in high school. I think I was a senior when it came out. And I just remember being like, oh, wow, it's like, huh. I didn't even know if I actually liked it or disliked it. But I remember watching it again, too, because it it was just kind of like I didn't have a a word or description for how I felt, which and that alone was, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is just the fact that I couldn't put a a, a description on how I was feeling, um made made these movies kind of made that movie special to me Mm -hmm. and then you know from that point on his style his post I guess I'll say his post days of heaven style just got more jazzy and more subconscious Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what it is too like I I can't speak for anybody else because I'm not in anybody else's head but it's like I don't know I'm I'm like I get off the train and I'm walking to work and I just randomly think about something from 20 years ago and then I randomly think about like I start doubting myself about something randomly. And then I start thinking about, you know, the good news that I have coming up in a couple of weeks. Like, I think he just kind of taps into that a lot. Just the random subconscious thoughts that come about. I think he just does that. I don't think anyone does it as good as he does, as far as I'm concerned. I'm only speaking for myself.
1: So. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I watched To the Wonder um, with my girlfriend and she had never seen a Terrence Malick mm-hmm. movie before and her first comment was oh this is like watching somebody's memories.
0: Yeah.
2: No, really. It, yeah. It, abs- absolutely. Um it's funny I was having a, I was on a podcast a few days ago talking about how as much as I love movies there's I, I don't know very 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 few that like oh, I totally relate to this. Or, oh, I see myself. I just don't. Most movies, I don't. Mm-hmm. And even with these Malick films, I don't fully, I don't really see myself at all. But there's these little blips of like, oh my God, that's exactly how I feel. Or like, that's exactly how that feels. I don't know if any filmmaker has done that before. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so that, so that counts for something as far as I'm concerned, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And just like to the wonder, uh, just has this really, yeah, it's like a, it's like an epic as told in a spiritual jazz template it it flows and there is a story and it's about this you know it's a, it's about two men you know it's about and and two women but you know it's about this this man falling in and out of love and tending to his world and then a priest who ministers and has his own crises of faith, played by Javier Pardem yeah. and yeah. it's just—it's just—I'm—I'm I'm really deeply moved by it, and I'm also reminded of—have either of you seen Thy Kingdom Come? No.
1: What, 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 which?
2: Who's—who's who's in that? What is that?
0: So it's it's a short film directed by Eugene Richards, basically using unused. Oh stuff duh!
2: What am I talking about? Yes, yes, yes. From. I mean to cut you off. Fr-
0: From Thy Kingdom Come, telling like a new story about Javier Bardem's character.
2: Yeah, I'm so, I'm so attached to the what I call it to the Wonder Part Two, but yeah, you, the proper title is is, is what Scott said. Which I I completely forgot that that's actually the name of the movie, but yeah, yes, so I have seen.
0: It. It's a little bit hard to find, but I think it's really cool, and so I think it's a screening. nice, it's a nice little coda. Uh, to the story, John, I have to I
2: have to jump in real quick too and say to Scott's point, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another thing, not so much the '70s stuff, but every one of his movies, there's usually enough footage to make a whole other movie he's famous for cutting actors completely out of movies or greatly reducing like for example thin red line which has this all-star cast there's people like gary oldman was completely cut out of thin red line martin sheen was cut out of thin thin red line adrian brody was originally supposed to be the star but then they recut it and he's only in like a handful of scenes or to to the wonder um amanda pete um uh who's the english actor oh, I forget his name, but there's like actors that are completely cut out of to the wonder there's there's he's he's just known for that, and he finally i actually kind of like that he finally used unused footage and reshaped into a new movie with to the wonder um actually of all the stuff he's made
0: yeah and it it's really good again it's hard to find, but it's a nice little coda if you can find it and mm-hmm. it has some of the the spiritual elements of the movie and yeah john um what are some of the spiritual or leftist through lines that you were able to get from it? And did you like the movie?
1: Oh yeah, I I did enjoy the wonder uh, to the wonder it. I I think it was, you know, Terrence Malick really using his artistic tool set uh, to his, you know, to the fullest extent. And I was really able to, you know, lose myself in the poeticism of, of his filmmaking. And, you know, I'm, you know, I know this is sort of crossing the the universes quite a bit, but um, I've been a a big fan of Olga Kurylenko, uh since I saw her in Quantum of Solace, and <laughs> and I think um, American movies have not utilized her um, as well as she could have been because she does movies like this and she could do action really well. So anytime I get I get, <laughs> I'd agree. I I
2: I I absolutely agree with that. And then she'll just, rent like, um, seven psychopaths, she just randomly
1: shows up in, like, two scenes or something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I, I I agree. Yeah. And, you know, as, especially for the subject matter of this podcast, I, I since got a whole email about the sad priest movies. Um, so Javier Bardem's character really, you know, c- connected with me, this struggling Catholic priest, and that's a character we've seen in cinema quite a bit, but Javier Bardem you know he's he has such a an expressive face and he has you know an immediate connection with the people that he's in the movie ministering to but as as an actor just you know acting with that just having him in a room laying hands on somebody is incredibly compelling and there's a really interesting connection between these two films where you have somebody in a spiritual crisis meeting and talking with somebody doing maintenance on religious art, like that Mm. that scene appears in in both of these movies so in in here we see javier bardem sort of with a a janitor who's cleaning the stained glass windows and they're they're putting their hands on the light coming through the glass, and they're talking about how they can, you know, f- feel the power of God through these windows and through these, or through the very mundane seeming action of cleaning it, it's sort of an act of worship in itself, and i found it profound how, you know, this priest character is shown sort of taking a spiritual lesson from somebody doing something seemingly so ordinary and I really appreciate that about the film sure Yeah.
0: and what about did, were you able to find any leftist strands here
1: um there's definitely some leftist subtext it's clear that there is some severe poverty running through the movie and um I, th- I think uh Ben Affleck's character is definitely disconnected from that personally, but mm-hmm. you you get the sense that his job is sort of crossing into like failed construction projects, yeah. Um, people who have lost their homes and and that is sort of rippling out through the community. And I think the people who are most severely affected by that are the people who Javier Bardem is. At, you know, administering to, and, you know, we see him struggle with, I think, his purpose and his ability to help these people out of, you know, the, the despairing poverty that they're in, and then on the other hand, we see, you know, Ben Affleck, who, who is pretty well off in comparison to the rest of the community, have his own struggles, and he's certainly not able to take joy in the material wealth that he's found in this community. Hmm. Right. What about you, Marcus? Now are we talking to the wonder
2: or hidden life?
0: We're going to get to hidden life shortly.
2: Okay. See, I will say... it's hard for me to say, because I used to think, yeah, it's leftist stuff, but then it's like one of these things where it's like overly religious, Oklahoma, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but which, you know, I, I am generalizing, I, I admit that I am g- generalizing, but uh, things like that don't necessarily go with leftists A lot of time it is kind of conservative, yeah politically right, you know, I'm not saying everybody in Oklahoma or everyone who is religious is that, but it just it is what it is. I just think... When I think of things like nuclear family, and I'm using air quotes Mm -hmm. when I say that, or traditional family, it's like, in an unfair way, it's just not associated with the left. But I think there are some kind of progressive, which I don't really associate with conservatism, I I just kind of immediately associate progressiveness with left, which sometimes is a very naive thing to do. To to be
0: clear, we... You know we have some progressive views but john and i are not liberals sure sure we're not progressives sure um we're we're leftists uh, of different magnitudes i'd say on my best days when i have to fit into a an american milieu i am a social democrat but Mm. i also would often consider myself a anarcho-communist um i'm also not super comfortable putting myself in boxes but sure so actually like in oklahoma with the working class to me that is a leftist idea and and trope and maybe not progressive but i think that's a big issue that i that i'd love to talk about is that in 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 the rust belt in middle middle america in oklahoma in places where you might think of working class people where you might, you know, use the term breadneck or uh, sure. yeah, rural people. If you take the labels out, you have people who work really hard, part of unions, um, to use the land to eat and share. Sure. That's all very leftist values. And there's a lot of, you know, Appalachians that that were had socialist leanings again because of unionizing in coal towns and other towns like that. So I think so. Thank you for saying that, Marcus, because it allows yeah. me to be like, oh no. Um, yeah, yeah. But
2: before like, I forget, because I need to, I guess what I was rambling on about is I think this movie questions. It challenges love and non-traditional love in a non-scummy way, and it's kind of reminiscent of, well, I guess the source material for two lovers goes back to 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 literature, but it's like, hey, can a man, or let's just say, can a person love more than one person at the same time without it being like, hey, I'm a man and I got more than one woman. <laughs> it, it doesn't do that. It's more just like, no, I literally love this woman. And I also love th- this woman. I'm not necessarily trying to even have my cake and eat it too. I'm not trying to be a player. I'm using air quotes again. It's just like it is what it is. There's these two people, and I have and I love both of them.
0: Right. Um, but there's there's also an argument that uh, monogamy and the patriarchy are both inherently uh, capitalistic tropes that can be challenged by mm. non-traditional forms of living. That's not that's not me and and in this movie it's not like Ben Ben Affleck is is do, is doing ethical non-monogamy. Yeah. Or polyamory. Yeah. Right. In fact, what he's doing is cheating, which literally is
2: literally cheating. Yes.
0: Which is really not cool cool at all. So yeah, I all of these things be like help me think about more of the lenses, because, again, when I think of rural America, aside from the the Trump delusion, there is a lot of tradition of leftism and left spirituality.
1: Yeah, And I know that even, you know, you're talking about leftist spirituality. I know that Javier Bardem is a Spanish actor but if his carrot we don't know much about his character's background but if his character's from latin america the, the school of uh liberation theology you know that's you know it comes from it comes from south america mm-hmm. that's go on go well, on baby you know, well, <laughs> that you know basically champions the idea that the the first duty of the church is to minister to the poor and the disenfranchised and has an explicitly leftist political viewpoint on the world and on politics and on spirituality so it could certainly fit into javier brendan's character's sense of displacement if he comes from liberation theology and finds himself in prime red belt oklahoma Mm -hmm. hearing you you know I'm, i'm sure you know every community in America is composed of all sorts of different people but but if he's going to church every week he's certainly hearing people complain about the plague of immigrants or or or, or any sort of conservative talking point and it's probably difficult to hear your own parishioners saying negative things about you every week even if that's not their intention and thats yeah, and that could wow. be a certainly a challenge to one's faith and the the sort of challenge of god to you know love one another love your enemy especially when it's your job to minister to them right
0: that's kind of real <laughs> i really i yeah, I'm really trying, like I'm that taking it in. um all right so i think that's about as good a segue mm-hmm. So, this next movie,
1: John. Yeah. So, um, a hidden life. You know, like we talked about. I I think it's such a testament to the power of active, nonviolent resistance. About the importance of staying true to your values, but also the cost of sacrifice yes that you know e- everything the main character friends does reverberates throughout his community and and throughout his family because the more he defies the nazis the more his family is ostracized mm-hmm. um if he maintains his moral stance that the nazis are bad and not to be followed which you know is morally correct you know, oh, so is that is that worth orphaning his children, widowing his wife? He's taking care of his elderly mother. He's He might, if his income is lost, does that mean his mother is now a beggar thrown out in, into the street? There are real-world consequences for his sacrifice, and I think this movie challenges France and challenges us to evaluate, you know, how important is our morality to us, and what are we willing to sacrifice to, to do, you know, the right thing, even if we're not sure of what that is. And I think it's it's a movie that challenges us to ask questions in a very profound way. Yeah, I um I go up and down
2: with it. Like no matter what, I love this movie also but i will say becoming a father like a lot of like stereotypical stuff now i look at this differently now i do this di- you know what i mean like when i saw this movie i you know i i didn't even know if i was going to be a dad when i saw this movie when it first came out um but now that i'm a dad so it, it's just things like <clears throat> yeah you got <laughs> you've got the integrity down but all the stuff but like all the stuff that john was saying like is it worth it like i get it but is it? And that, I guess that is the question it poses because everything John said is true. It's like he's not there. He, he's locked away in jail and, you know, his wife is like alone to kind of fend for herself and not the community she once had. She doesn't have. Yeah. It's like all, the, it's this like backwards domino effect on stuff. And it's kind of like, is it worth it? You know? And some days I feel, yeah, it is. And some of days I feel like, no, it's not. You know, like just, it, it's one of those things like, just. Just pledge your allegiance, it's not gonna matter, you know, but then ah uh, can- can you you know so some people really do have that in te- in te- integrity, and I think unfortunately people who have that level of integrity, I don't know man, eight and a half times out of ten, it just doesn't work out for them, you know what i'm saying which which is right. always a sad thing, you know, and it doesn't
0: it, it doesn't work out on him he, his yeah, it does not his his goal his steadfast need to not fight because of his belief because of his humble roots as as a farmer and 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 his interpretations of the teachings of Christ he's unable to do it so so i obviously it's much easier to find the spiritual tones in this movie
2: yeah
0: and oh, yeah. and of course you know i'm pretty excited that you know the next the next movie that Terrence Malick is making, The Way of the Wind, is a biblical epic. But we can we can cover that when when it comes out. Oh yeah.
1: And you know a lot of the other characters, he friends has a lot of very interesting and compelling conversations with other prisoners, other townspeople, even Nazis you know and they challenge him like are you doing this just for pride you know, yeah, right but also you know he has a conversation with the, the with this baker who tells him like it's it's insanity to follow an insane person like are, you're being we are being asked to swear an oath to the antichrist Th- like it, that's just explicitly against God and against morality so it's 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 an impossible choice and you know throughout the film um, in Franz's home there's these very you know oversized crucifixes throughout his room and they're not you know protestant you know two sticks put together they're Jesus nailed to the cross like this you know, martyrdom, this visual, you know, piece of gore <laughs> dedicated to the mm-hmm. death of Jesus is following him and his family everywhere. It's something that he's grown up with as like a goal to live by. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's its not a blessing that, that he's found this martyrdom sort of thrust upon him, um he sort of sees it as a as a duty but because he takes it on you know his family is then forced to take it on as well yeah
0: and is that selfish
1: yeah that, or is it righteous or is it
2: both both yeah it's both
1: yeah very much especially both. because this you know this is taking place in 1943 so this is between the nazis Getting their asses kicked by the Russians and D-Day, so it's conceivable that the war could end without like complete capitulation by the Nazis. That all right, the Germany is going to keep the Sudetenland, they're going to keep Austria, and we're going to stop this war. And oh, and the, also conceivable that the Soviets and the Western Allies could have been like, well, the Holocaust happened. Oops, sorry. Um. and that this could just be the state of things for the next 10 to 20 years like we didn't know that in 1943 um. so there wasn't this perspective on the Nazis rise and fall and the genocide they committed like there is today um, right. and it's, so his, he yeah. could have been he could have doomed his family because Hitler could have you know died in power in the 1950s who knows
0: And also, this movie is almost like an antithesis to, and this is a movie that we've talked about lightly on the show before, Hacksaw Ridge, Mm -hmm. you know, where Terrence Malick is quite subtle, and his depiction of violence and religiosity, again, is subtle and thoughtful and lyrical and poetic. And then you have Mel Gibson, who is a violence fetishist, Whose views on religion, I I find to be not very Christ-like from my understandings of Jesus, and tells this story of a pacifist in the World War II, just done in an almost brutalist sense.
2: Yeah, I get. I... Oh, you, you, oh, I'm sorry. You think there's a you think Terrence Malick's religious? Representation, presentation, whatever word what you want to use, is subtle.
0: More subtle than Mel Gibson.
1: Oh, oh, well, okay, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I, I I can go on about Mel Gibson, but I, I I find it fascinating that someone like Mel Gibson would make a movie about a pacifist. Like I, I know that pacifism in the, that 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 <laughs> movie's case comes from a very religious perspective, um, but if we're gonna psychoanalyze Mel Gibson, we'll be here <laughs> forever. Um, or or not long at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know one of the joys of this podcast for me personally is that you know we've sort of unintentionally had a debate with the movies that we've covered on the merits of pacifism and responding to uh, totalitarianism with violence. So you know our last recording session we talked about Black God White Devil, which. Is, was made by a director who said explicitly the only proper response to oppression, or in his case, colonialism, is with violence, because that's the only way to make the oppressors hear you. Whereas um, in the movie we talked about a few weeks ago, A Friendly Persuasion, it's the perspective of these Quaker farmers was, the only proper response to violence is pacifism. And, right. and here, I think, with A Hidden Life, it's it's neither of those perspectives. Like, we have a character choosing pacifism, but this is a movie really making us confront the consequences uh, of that pacifism. And, you know, one thing that I, I thought was, you know, interesting, at one point, one of the characters says, you know, we can get used to, or, you know, God will, will never give us, Anything we can't handle, which is something yeah. that we've we hear a lot from religious people. Um, but it's also something I don't think is true, because that's actually something that um, a character says to Mahershala Ali's character in *The Free State of Jones*, who is a slave, and his response is, uh, "No, you can't get used to anything." Yeah. um, and so yeah, if and this is also something that um, Victor Frankel, uh, an author who Scott was generous enough to share his work with me, um, he was a, a he was imprisoned in Auschwitz for years. and he talks about how it's remarkable that uh, what a human being can sustain and get used to and and how a person can manage with you know a full interior life uh, like this movie is talking about um, that you can sustain yourself even through the Holocaust Um, and so I'm just very thankful that I got to watch these movies and discuss it with you guys because this movie is really you know connecting the dots with a lot of the things that we've been talking about with this podcast I also I had to have to cut in real quick because
2: where did you see this? Where did you see a hit life in the theater? Because um, for those that don't know, don't remember, it was almost like this movie did the festival circuit, then like didn't really have too much of a theatrical release. Like there was a lot of dust up about that, and then it just kind of eventually came to streaming a while later. Like what you like? What? How long
1: was it in the theater? When, when uh, you not very it? long. Um, I am fortunate yeah. to have a really great in the theater pretty close to me. Um, so they, they don't get everything that I'd like to see, but they do pretty frequently take a chance on movies that don't get a theatrical release at all. Like they go straight from Mm -hmm. festivals to streaming. And so I'm very thankful to have that opportunity. So if you're in central Pennsylvania, please visit uh, Midtown cinema in Harrisburg. Okay. Oh,
2: cool. Okay. All right, well, that's good. No, because I've only seen A Hidden Life once. I know that sounds crazy, but... um, Oh, I take that back. I'm sorry, I saw it twice. Um, I saw it at TIFF, and then they added a screening, so I actually watched it twice in a short span of time. But um, it's become one of those movies... Oh, also the opposite, where I've seen To The Wonder. Like, I don't know how many times I watch that movie a lot. But um, it's like the older I get, bigger or kind of more dynamic or movies that leave an impact. I only want to watch them once or twice. Um and A Hidden Life is definitely that. I don't know if I'll ever watch it like again, you know. Um
0: I mean, I I only watched it in the past year and a half or so, mm. you know, and yeah. I skimmed over it before we recorded this episode. And you know, sure. as far as God never giving us more than we can bear, it reminds me of this short story by this Canadian writer, Lynn Crosby, who has an excellent short story collection called Life is About Losing Everything, which is Mm -hmm. a quote from Mike Tyson. And it's a story where she's dealing with a really bad breakup and sobriety. And this religious lady uh, gives her this potted azalea with a note that says, God never gives us more than we can bear and she takes the plant and throws it in the face of the woman and says he just did Mm. Hmm. yeah Hmm. i always found that to be you know kind of profound sure also the the religious trope of life is about losing everything and the 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 leftist trope of life is about losing everything, you know, living in a capitalistic hellscape. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well.
0: So do we have any uh, closing thoughts for, for these, these movies and Terrence Malick and,
2: you know, yeah, I, 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 it's weird to, I'm a Terrence Malick defender. Cause I don't, I don't really think he needs defending, even though I think this, a hidden life kind of brought things back on track a little bit, but when to to the wonder that the 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 films between Tree of Life and and A Hidden Life were not taken very seriously, they were bashed by the majority of critics. That not not every, but the you know the majority. So when people talk about like Song to Song, Night of Cups, or uh to the wonder, it's like ah eh, those don't really count. Or those are just little side moves. Those are just little experiments. But you know, I mean. Not that I'm. These aren't movies where, like, if someone's like, "I didn't like them, where I would go, "What? How could you not?" You know, like, I get it, but it's like, if you if if you can just like turn off the cynicism and silliness and just be genuine for like anywhere from ninety minutes to two hours, there, there's, there's, I think there's a few things that you could take from from late period Malick films
1: if you just allow it to happen. Yeah,
2: I. So that's my little. Sell. I
1: would definitely agree. I mean, one of the great things about both. For me personally about podcasting and getting older is my 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 i i feel like i've gotten much more open-minded with the movies and music and art that i've enjoyed um mm. I'm, I'm more patient my palette has expanded and so that's you know allowed me to take in work like malik's that I, I wasn't as a younger person so i'm very thankful for that and you know even in a movie like in life There are moments of, you know, light in there, Um, you know, when, you know, when a lawyer asks Franz to to sign here and you'll go free, he says, I am free, and, Mm. um, you know, there's a couple moments where, you know, his, uh, Franz's wife, Fanny, she goes to the miller after giving him her year's crop, and he gives her far more than she gave him. So he's taking stuff out of his pocket to help her. E- even mm-hmm. as she was you know, basically harvesting her own fields herself, she gives a beggar woman food out of her own pocket. Um, and so I'm just, I was very touched by these you know, little moments of, of kindness that Malik was able to, to put into a hidden life, even in this movie about you know, Nazi oppression. I mean, there's, I think that's another,
2: to piggyback real quick, that, I think that's what makes Malick's movies, late period Malick movies great, is there's so many little moments that make you go, like, oh wow, you know, and I, and I do, I, I truly think it started with Thin Red Line up to now, like, I, like I, I said earlier, there were all these like random quick moments that are just like, why was this even in here, but then the older I got, I just appreciated it more like this, you know, again thin red line it's a movie about war it's world war ii but then there's a scene where you know jim caviezel is just watching this aboriginal aboriginal couple hold hands and he like holds back tears but he's also smiling you know what i'm saying and then and that that scene lasts all it's just like a few seconds long uh in in the midst of this movie with you know murder and gunfights and explosions and cannons and whatnot you know so things like that are he, he, he i think he's a master of of, of little yeah. moments you know
0: Yeah. I mean, I really don't. The only Terrence Malick movie that I don't really like is *The Tree of Life*. So, mm. and I don't hate it. I just don't don't love it. Right. But you know, I just I don't know just a a closing thought you know uh i just think that for revolution sometimes pacifism is is not possible and in like the the lens of like decolonization which is not exactly what happens in in this movie but from the leftist perspective of Franz fanon is you know uh, decolonization is the veritable creation of new men but this creation owes nothing of its legitimacy to any supernatural power the thing which has been colonized becomes men during the same process by which it frees itself so their you know violence ha- and its effects on the individual can also be guided by lived experience you know my my grandfather um when he was 12 in Poland, pretended he was 18. So he could go fight Germans in World War Mm -hmm. One. And my my grandfather's brother, different grandfather, was on this went to was a Jewish guy that went to World War Two to to fuck up Nazis. Mm -hmm. And and we were talking in a previous episode about John Brown, who was just like this religious dude who was like I'm gonna kill slave owners with a broadsword. So it's complex. Yeah. I'm at a, I'm pacifist at heart, but that there isn't the only means. And there's also a great book called that that nonviolent stuff will get you killed, which because I like non, title. Yeah, it's it's an excellent book, and and I recommend it. And there's a lot of dangers to nonviolence as well. So yeah, I just thought. I just thought that i would I would throw in a little bit of my leftist practice in in here with you know with with my ideas. you know what I mean um yeah. and yeah any any uh closing thoughts?
2: I mean, I gave mine.
0: fair enough, and it's yeah it's uh this nonviolent stuff will get you killed uh how the how guns made the civil rights movement possible by charles e cobb junior i i recommend
1: it john uh well I, I want to thank you for another great book recommendation scott and for bringing your leftist practice to the conversation um
0: oh uh which which book did i recommend to you
1: no well, you've, rec- oh, you've recommended you've recommended uh quite a few but you know i mentioned victor frankl earlier and so that was <laughs> oh yeah I've, I've sent you a yes. few books yeah, 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 I think.
0: Yeah. yeah one of my favorite things to do is send people books if I think they'll read them and I think you will
1: so uh, I d- I did read I have read the book you but did. with
0: with with leftist books like like Francis Franz Fannin's uh white skin black masks is that right or is it white man um uh, or this nonviolent stuff will get you killed I just recommend that you go to a a cooperative bookstore or bookstore where where there are owner workers i really recommend going to red emma's to it which is a cooperative bookstore owned in baltimore you can order their books online if you're going to get stuff some books are harder to get um and then i'll use other means but i'm just saying if if i'm going to even start sending books through through there. Uh, even you know so yeah. Black skin, white masks by Franz Fanon. You know the wretched of the earth. The wretched of the earth is his more famous book, but I think uh, I believe that black skin, white masks is is a is a more it, it, it's more important to me. And I'm glad yous uh, came on to for us to talk about all these things. Yeah, today.
1: I really appreciate it, Marcus. Thank
2: you. Oh no, thank you for having me. I'll be better with time next time. No worries. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs>